Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. Happy Monday. This is CBS Sports' daily NFL show. I am your host, Will Brinson. You can subscribe on iTunes. Rate, review, leave a comment. Say nice things. If you Don't bother leaving a comment if you're going to be a jerk. I don't need a three-star review. It doesn't help me. It doesn't make me look good in front of my bosses. My wife gets upset. My son cries. Nobody needs that. Uh, it's joining me today to talk about a little gambling. That's with an N, with an apostrophe, as well as some Bay Area teams and whatever else happens to come across the plate. My pal, Joe Fortenball. Joe, what's up, man? Will, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me on the podcast. I figured I'd start it out with something like this. <laughs> I, right now, as we tape this, am in Lake Tahoe, and a lot of people don't know what that would mean in terms of significance. You would, my man. Fish's summer tour starts Tuesday. I'm ready to rock and roll Tuesday and Wednesday night. Are you, wait, wait, wait. Are you in Lake Tahoe for the golf tournament or for a, the fish concert? Well, we I found a way to <laughs> turn the fish concert into a, quote, family vacation including my wife's in-laws. So it's MLB All-Star Week, and working on the radio, this is like the most dead week of the year. So it's perfect for vacation. Fish is opening their summer tour about three and a half hours from where I live in San Francisco. So I was able to convince the wife and the in-laws, hey, let's all get together in Tahoe, MLB All-Star Week. It'll be great for summer. Everybody agreed. And then, oh, by the way, Tuesday, Wednesday night, you guys are babysitting because I've got shows to go to. That is fantastic. Good for you, Joe. Um, the, uh, and those shows are sold out, by the way. Then they head up to the gore. But this is not the first time, even in the last two weeks, that we've had fish chatter on this podcast. Uh, for those, I mean, if really? You, yeah, uh, Eric Edholm was on the, uh, was on the show as well. Oh, yeah. He's a big fish guy. But then they're headed to the gorge. And, um, I think. And then Bill Graham in San Francisco. Yeah. Are, are you hitting that up too? Or are you? Yes. Now, those will be shows I'll likely show up to do a morning radio show following those shows. (laughs) So I will forward promote to that throughout the next week or so when I'm back on the air because people always find it intriguing, the difference between uh, straight-edge Joe Fortenball and possibly hungover Joe Fortenball. (laughs) Asterix on possibly. Yeah. Definitely. (laughs) Just just rolling right off of this show onto the air. Yeah, I'm pretty glad. uh, So Fish is playing in Raleigh this year out at uh, Walnut Creek, which is – where the infamous lightning show happened in 1997. I was there for that one. Um, but it's a Friday night, which is always a benefit. Easier to get a babysitter for me. My wife is going to go. We actually haven't bought tickets yet. Um, it, they're sold out at Merriweather the following night, but it's, it's been so, the, anyway. We don't need to spin off on a huge tangent, but I mean, I, I've, I've very, <laughs> suddenly it's a fish podcast. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, I, 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 these things happen sometimes. I'm just surprised at like the prices that I've seen on these on these tours. They're unbelievable. I think it's a Ticketmaster thing more than even like a fish thing. Have you seen like the the variable pricing that they're using or like the platinum VIP stuff? It's crazy. Yeah, it, it is. And you get to a point between that and then all the excess fees on top of everything these days. I was just in Vegas covering the Summer League. We're the uh, flagship of the, War- of the Golden State Warriors, so we were down there for a few days. We stayed at Harrah's, right, because the Warriors apparently have a deal with Caesars Properties. The rooms at Harrah's were $31 a night. The resort fees were $41 a night. What? So it's $72 for a night there, but only 31 goes towards the room, and then 41 goes towards, and this is an approximation, 41 goes towards the resort fees. So if you want to build a stadium in Las Vegas like the Raiders are doing, and you want the public and or the tourists to pay for it, that's how you go about achieving that goal. Ah, wow. Smart by Vegas. By the way, when Joe says radio show, you're talking about, of course, 95 95- 
seven. The game you can uh, listen to him there. You can check out the Sharp Six Hundred, a sports betting podcast on iTunes, and you can follow him on Twitter at Joe Fortenball. Okay, let's dive into some some NFL stuff. The World Cup has ended. France won. Next up is American football training camp. Actually starts this week. We got the Bears and the Ravens appearing, and um, we've had some people on. I mean, we've been talking win totals and prop bets and all that, but you 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 are a fellow degenerate just like me, so I wanted to get your opinion on some possible best bets uh, for the coming season. I'll tell you, we, I mentioned the Ravens. I'm starting to come around. I like the Ravens a lot this year. I don't I don't know I don't know why that's happening because um, I usually don't like the Ravens. I usually don't favor a team like Baltimore, but I'm really starting to come around on Baltimore, and I'm curious, um, A, your thoughts on whether or not you like them at all. I think I've, I like their over at eight wins, but uh, any other best bets that you have heading into the NFL season? As for Baltimore, I'm relatively neutral. The question always comes down to whether or not Joe Flacco is going to take his game to another level. He does have some new intriguing receiving options at his disposal this year, headlined by a guy named Michael Crabtree, who used to play in the Bay Area with the Oakland Raiders and San Francisco 49ers. But I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to how John Harbaugh coaches this team and what he gets out of this team this season. And what I mean by that is uh, Harbaugh is a tremendous coach, but at some point things start to go stale. And the Ravens haven't been very impressive ever since they won that Super Bowl. Now, the big reason for that is they tied up a large percentage of their salary cap in Joe Flacco's new contract, and that has hamstrung them to an extent in terms of building out the rest of their roster. We see that everywhere. If you actually go back through history, just use the last 10 years or so, And look at the quarterbacks who win the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Great quarterbacks, but they're either guys that are on rookie deals, like uh, uh, last year Carson Wentz. I know he didn't start, but the Eagles were quarterbacked by Wentz on a rookie deal and Foles on a backup deal. Russell Wilson was on a rookie deal at about a million dollars per. And everyone will point to Brady and Manning, but they took team-friendly contracts in order to get those teams to the Super Bowl. By and large, the teams that are competing for and winning Super Bowls have quarterbacks that aren't in the upper echelon of pay because it takes up too much of the cap. You've got to be able to dedicate money elsewhere. So that's why you've been seeing this, and I think that's one of the reasons why a team like Baltimore has struggled in recent years. Now, for the Ravens, I'm relatively neutral, like I said. An over-under of eight, I don't see value either way there. I wouldn't knock the over. I wouldn't, I wouldn't knock the under. It's just a play that hasn't jumped out to me as of yet. But I'll give you this. I've got three picks for you today, and two of them stem from a trend I've been tracking since I got tipped off to this in Vegas when I was living there back in, I want to say, 2012. Ooh, like These are Thursday night plays. All right, so they're games that are going to take place on Thursday night. Now, here's the trend. This goes back to 1994. Since then, there have been 13 games played on Thursday night in which the road team has had to travel 1,500 or more miles across two time zones. And they've done that coming off a Sunday game. So they played on Sunday. They got to play four days later on a Thursday night on the road. They've got to travel 1,500 or more miles and they've got to go across two time zones. In the 13 games where that's taken place, the home team is 12-1 and straight up, 12-1 and against the spread. Okay? And we're talking situations where the home team might find itself as a big underdog. I think think if you go back to 2012, there was a game on Thursday night. It was Tim Tebow's Broncos against Rex Ryan's New York Jets. And the Jets came to Denver on a Thursday night. So, again, they played on Sunday. They traveled across two time zones. They went more than 1,500 miles. 
They played on Thursday night as seven-point favorites, I want to say, and they lost that game outright. The NFL has done a good job over the last few years of trying to limit these situations because it's a tough, tough travel spot for the road team. This is a brutal thing to ask of players who just played four days before, and essentially you're going to travel on Wednesday, so you're going to lose a day of practice there anyway. Two games, two games fit this criteria this year, the first of which is going to take place in week four. Minnesota is going to be at L.A. to take on the Rams. Minnesota in week three is going to host Buffalo. Then they're traveling 1,536 miles across two time zones to L.A. Early point spread on this game at CG Technologies in Vegas has the Rams minus three. So I'd be laying the Rams minus three as of now, but of course we can wait until closer to kickoff and then we can find a different line should we be so inclined to find better value. So that's game number one. The second time this happens is in week 11. Green Bay will be at Seattle. Now Green Bay is in a miserable situation here. This is sandwiched in a five-game stretch in which they'll play at L.A. against the Rams, at New England against the Patriots. They'll come home to play Miami. Then they'll hit the road to play Seattle. That's the game we're looking for. Then they come home to play a divisional road game, that is, excuse me, at Minnesota. So at the Rams, at the Patriots, home against Miami, at Seattle, at Minnesota. A brutal stretch. Week 10, hosting Miami. Week 11, traveling to Seattle, 1,647 miles across two time zones. Packers currently listed as a one-point favorite in that game. Awful spot. So the two best bets I'd have for you stem from this trend. Week 4, take the Rams over the Vikings. Week 11, take the Seahawks over the Packers. And interesting, too, I think. I like that. I like that. that is some deep dive knowledge. This is very, very good. Um, and, Dude, I'm telling you, bookmark that one because that was real popular. I remember the guy who tipped me off to that back in 2000, I want to say 12, the year that happened it was two, with I, the I, uh, Broncos. I looked it up while you were talking. It was 2011. Um, the Broncos in 2011, and you're right, the Jets went to Denver and lost 17 to 13 to, and I, I remember watching that game because Tebow, yep. Tebow was, uh, I mean, just like, I think he was running all, he was nine, nine of 20 for 104 yards, eight rushes <laughs> for 68 yards and a touchdown. And they had the, the Jets, I, I, I mean, I don't, re, I don't re specifically remember them being lethargic in terms of the run game, but they had, you know, Joe McKnight ran 16 times for 59 yards. Not great, obviously. They had to have Mark Sanchez throw the ball 40 times, which means they, they couldn't, they couldn't get their, their offense that they wanted to get going, going, which, which tells you all you need to know. And I think it's also notable about that, um, the Vikings game. So would you say they're three point favorites, right? Or the Rams are three point favorites. I wouldn't be. The Rams so are going to be three at home against Minnesota. That's the standard three point home field advantage. Right. Nothing else is built in as of now. That's a great edge in my opinion. Yeah. Well, and, but, and I think that, I think that as it gets closer to that one, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to taking it now, but I, I think that as it gets closer to it, you get the Vikings who are going to play the, the Bills at home the week before. They should slaughter the Bills. And the Rams are playing the Chargers at home the week before. So you could certainly see that end up swinging in the way that, like, Minnesota is favored by one in Los Angeles. That wouldn't be surprising. No doubt. And go back to 2011. When you're looking at that trend with the Jets and the Broncos, it happened two other times that year. It happened on Thanksgiving when it was the Harbaugh brothers playing each other. The yeah. Niners came across the country to play Baltimore. And you also had it the beginning of December. The Eagles went all the way to Seattle before Seattle was known as the Seahawks that we all remember making that Super Bowl run. I think it may have been Michael Vick quarterbacking that team from Philadelphia, but they went into that game, I want to say, as a favorite and got beat by the Seahawks. 
So after that, the NFL kind of limited these opportunities, but they popped up in each of the last two years. Last year, Chiefs at Raiders. That was a situation that falls within this criteria. And then the year before that, the Raiders were in Kansas City. And in both instances, the home team won and the home team covered. I remember getting tipped off to this back in 11, and the guy who gave it to me said, don't say anything to anyone about this. For, like, years <laughs> I kept it under my hat, and then I realized no one was talking about it, and even he had forgotten he told me about it. I called him later and tipped him off to a game. He said he'd completely forgotten he had told me that. So I figured this year we'll blow this thing up. We'll get some people on the right side, starting here on the Pick 6 podcast. I like it. I like it. All right, yeah, that, uh, you're right. That Chiefs game does fit. Where they That was that Thursday night, that wild – Thursday night game with the crazy finish and the Raiders ended up winning 31 yep. to 30 um, after the Chiefs had lost at home to the Steelers 1913 the week before. Great call, man. Joe Fortenbaugh delivering the goods. I like it. Um, the other, the, 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 we talked about this a little bit and it's interesting when you talk about overs for teams versus under for teams. And you had a great point that so a lot of times, I mean, like I said, I like the Ravens over. It would probably be in to my benefit to wait and take the the over, as you were pointing out, I, I, and we talk about the Bills as well. The Bills fascinate me because I think they are their under is one of the best bets of the of the entire season at six and a half. The problem is, if you jumped on it early, you got it at six and a half minus one fifty. Last I checked, it's up to six and a half minus one eighty five, which tells me at some point in the near future, the Bills under is going to come down to six. Uh, it's reminiscent of what we saw from the Jets last year, where the, you know they're over under open at five and a half, and then was eventually cratered down to three and a half. It's just it, it's almost like too many too many people are on it. That's the only thing that scares me about that Bills under. But I, I mean, it goes to your point about you know you probably want to if you're going to bet these win totals you want to jump on the unders earlier right that's my personal philosophy i know there are some pros in las vegas who would essentially come out and say when you see value you take advantage of value you always want to beat the numbers and i get that i'm not against that but when it comes to win totals i'm going to be tying my cash up in this for what four or five months before potential payouts coming so if i'm going to bet an over i'll sacrifice some juice if it means I can make the bet towards the end of August and I can get through the injury window. Because the last thing I want is to make a bet on the Atlanta Falcons led by Michael Vick on the over, and then he goes and blows up his ankle (laughs) in the preseason and is lost for the entire year. So I kind of look at that as an insurance policy. I'll be paying a little bit more down the road most likely, but I'll at least make sure my star players are ready to go. A lot of guys might not agree with that philosophy, but so be it. Now, if you're going to play an under, you can play an under at any time because the only thing that's going to happen with an injury is it's going to help you. And I would be inclined to look at the bill under like you're talking about. Big change in the quarterback position. They got this LaShawn McCoy controversy. They got to settle up. You're in a division where I think Miami might be a little bit better than expected. The Jets are on the rise. The Patriots are one where everyone's always going to view them as the elite company in the AFC. At some point, that's going to drop off. Mm -hmm. And I've been looking at their win total sitting at 11 and a half. And I'm thinking to myself, are they going to go 12 and four yet again? Are they going to find a way to get it done? Brady's 41. Gronkowski's a guy who's injury prone. And he's, uh, you know, he's coming off his what? He's going into his age 29 season. All these things into account. I, I, Edelman being suspended for four games. I was getting excited about it. And then I looked at the schedule. It's such a cakewalk. All the big crossover games. Like I believe the Green Bay Packers and the NFC North, they end up playing those games at home. They get Houston at home to open the season. So I don't know. Right now that's kind of a pass. But I do side with you on Buffalo. If I had to lean one way there, I'm leaning under. It just feels like they're going to come off that peak season last year where they finally got back to the playoffs 
and then they'll crash and burn this year due to a variety of factors. Yeah, and interesting to note, um, I checked on sportsbook.ag, which we I use with Frank Schwab to do these win totals, and we both have Buffalo as one of our unders. They've actually gone down to six. They've already knocked off the half a point, and it's still juiced at minus 185 on the under, which may, I mean, you know, that might be a reaction to this LaShawn McCoy stuff. Not, I mean, not that anything is definitely going to happen, but certainly if, if LaShawn McCoy were to miss any time at all, uh, or if, you know, or, you know, heavens forbid, if you missed the, you know, if you were to miss a lengthy amount of time, um, the, the Buffalo Bills would be a very, very bad football team. It's, it's just hard to look at them and see them do anything with that quarterback situation. Um, the, the NFC, you know, the NFC South is interesting to me because there are, I'm surprised at the, uh, at the, I guess the, the playoff odds, right? Like I, I'm surprised at how the Saints are the only ones favored. Like the Falcons are not favored, quote unquote, to make the playoffs. And I'm a little surprised that, that Vegas doesn't think either the, the Falcons or the Panthers are going to make the playoffs if you read the odds that way. Well, I think they lean to the Panthers as being the better team over the Falcons. They like Drew Brees and the Saints again this season. The Falcons, it's a big question mark. Um, Two years ago, in the Super Bowl, Matt Ryan has an MVP season. Everything's looking good. And then what happens? Kyle Shanahan departs for San Francisco, and you see major regressions taking place individually amongst players like Matt Ryan and across the board as a collective team offense. So you have to ask yourself, how much did Shanahan mean to that offense? And as you go through Matt Ryan's history, you realize that the greatest year of his career came with the best offensive coordinator he's ever worked with. So that was a big blow to the Atlanta Falcons. These playoff odds, especially at the Westgate, I was talking to Jeff Sherman, who's one of the sportsbook managers over there, and he told me they sampled with this last year. They offered up some yes-nos on whether or not some teams would make the playoffs. They were so popular that they're offering them for every single team this year. It was a really popular bet, just the yes-no on whether or not each of the 32 teams will make the playoffs. And as you look around the NFC, all right, you've probably got the Rams as the favorite in the NFC West, the Packers or the Vikings in the North, with the other team considered to be a wild-card contender. Maybe it's the Saints leading the cause in the South, and then Philadelphia in the East. But look at the rest of the competition that's out there. Many view the Niners as a legitimate threat to make the playoffs. The Bears are supposed to be a little bit better this year. Keep an eye on their over for the season win total. I know some guys that have been circling the Chicago Bears. Um, you work your way through the NFC South again. You have Carolina, who's got a relatively high win total. And then you go to the East, a possible bounce back for Dallas with Ezekiel Elliott in the lineup. Maybe the Redskins find a way to win eight or nine games with Alex Smith and find themselves in contention. So it's a tough go. In the AFC, it seems a little bit more wide open. But when betting the yes-no on the playoffs, when it comes to the NFC, it's definitely going to be something where there's a more crowded field, which leads me into a question I had for you, my friend. I was looking at the yes-nos for these playoff teams, and the one that stood out to me, and you got to lay 160 on this, but yes-no, the Los Angeles Chargers to the playoffs. they got a win total sitting around 9.5 as well. You've been talking about the Chargers for two years, and I tend to side with you this season. It feels like big things are in store with the exception of the injury that just took place to the tight end about a month ago. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I'm, I am all in on the Chargers this year. And I actually, the interesting thing about the Hunter Henry injury is it's not good. I mean, Hunter Henry was going to be a breakout tight end this year. He was going to step in, like when he stepped into the role, the Antonio Gates role as a full-time tight end. I mean, he, he, you know, he started to explode down the stretch. And so I, I think that that's a big devastating blow for, for LA, but, 
I do, I mean, if I'm finding a silver lining here, I like that the fact that everybody's sort of off the Chargers bandwagon after that injury, or it's at least cooled down a little bit. I mean, look at it, it's insane to me that they would have an over under of nine and a half and that anyone would consider doing anything other than the under. But when you look at their schedule, I think they're going to win 12 games. I mean, they were an 11 win team by point differential last year. The Pythagorean theorem gives them uh, that bump. And to me, it's an obvious pick to take the Chargers over and an even more obvious pick to take them to make the playoffs because while the division is, you know, not a guaranteed winner, they're the favorites to win the division. I don't, I don't think they're guaranteed to win it because there's a lot of question marks in there. Uh, it is the weakest the division's been. And I do think that the AFC as a whole is so much weaker, Joe, than the NFC that the Chargers should not have a difficult time uh, making the playoffs at worst as a wild card should KC or, or Oakland or Denver pop up and, and, and win that division. Agreed. What hurts the Chargers was coaching and play calling. Yeah. And if they can figure out how to clean all of that up and make improvements in those two departments, they don't need to be perfect. But if they can make improvements in those two departments, you're going to see a big jump, jump up in win total for the Chargers this year. They have the best quarterback in the division, and most people would probably get ready as they hear that to argue it. But no let's look way. around. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes is unproven in Kansas City. Case Keenum's going to have a big-time drop-off in Denver. And Derek Carr had one really good season and then fell off a cliff. Now maybe Carr bounces back and has a tremendous year this year. But I would side with Phillip Rivers as the best quarterback in the division. And I'm siding with the San Diego, excuse me, I still do this, the Los Angeles Chargers defense as the best defense in the division. That pass rush with Bosa and Ingram and everything in between is going to be absolutely filthy this season. And that ultimately is what's going to carry them to the next level. So if they can clean up some of the play calling mistakes and coaching mistakes, which come from a rookie head coach, no doubt, they're going to be able to make that jump. And to lay minus 160 to get to the postseason, I'll glad do that. I do that on baseball all the time. I'd have no problem doing it here. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, to remember is if you're betting on the Chargers or you're looking to put a wager in on the Chargers, you can either bet the over at 9.5 at minus 110 or pay a little bit of extra juice and take them to make the playoffs at minus 160, which means that they could win nine games. They could be the team you want them to be. They could make the playoffs, and you could still win the bet without risking them having to win 10 games, right? I mean, and that, that's sort of one of the advantages of taking those playoff bets. Um, the other thing I think that is big that's being a little bit underreported is that they now have, or at least under discussed, they now have a full season in LA under their belt. I mean, that, you saw what it did to the Rams their first year there. I mean, they had Jeff Fisher, of course, and when they moved, but I mean, having to make the make the transition from being in St. Louis to being in Los Angeles, it was tough for the Rams. And it was tough, I think, for the Chargers, too. There was so much, you know, trying to get used to change after being in San Diego for so long. And with a rookie, doing that with a rookie head coach was dumb in the first place. But I think it got Anthony Lynn, like, he, you know, he, he got to, he got to take his, he got to take his knocks early. And now he can go out there and sort of be, I think, at ease. I think Phillip Rivers will be more comfortable in the situation. And by the way, this is also the best offensive line Philip Rivers has had in like 10 years with the Chargers. Yes, and it's underreported and it's not highlighted enough exactly what you're talking about, that transition from San Diego to Los Angeles. Back in 2008, I was working in minor league baseball in Allentown, Pennsylvania for a team known as the Lehigh Valley Iron the Pigs. Iron Pigs it was the yeah. Philadelphia Phillies AAA affiliate. Still and is. It was their first year in existence. And I remember when all these guys showed up in the Lehigh Valley, 
they didn't have homes. Like they didn't know where to live. People on the staff were working with them on apartments and everything, but some of them moved there with families and kids and they had no idea where they were living or where they were going to get set up. And the team opened that season like 0-14. They just lost every game out of the shoot. I think they were something like 2-20 through 22 games. It was a miserable season. They were terrible. Now, granted, there wasn't a ton of talent on that team, and you can't blame all of a team's early season woes on housing, but it's a distraction. And the more distractions you add to players and coaches at the professional level, the more the likelihood is that you've narrowed your margin for error, especially when it comes to playing some of the better teams in the league. When you play against a New England or a Pittsburgh or maybe a Philadelphia, these teams are so good, they're not going to give you a lot of opportunities to overcome your shortcomings, your distractions, your mistakes your lack of preparation. And I think that's something that while they're professionals and they had people working with them to find homes, it still did serve as at least a minor distraction that can help take your eye off the ball. So now that they have a year under their belt, like you said, the head coach, the players, it should go a little bit smoother this year, especially in terms of what to expect at the stadium, which was oftentimes overtaken and overrun by the opposing team's fans. Yeah, that was it was not easy for the Chargers to deal with. And they're still gonna no. have to they're still gonna have to battle that, but I, I think I pointed this out on a on a previous pod too. Um if you look at their home schedule, it's a lot it's a lot in terms of like who they play in Los Angeles. The teams are a lot less it's like the Browns and the Bengals, like it's not the Eagles and the you know I mean they, they clearly play everybody in the division, but it, they don't they don't play these teams who have great traveling fans. So I think that will be a little bit easier on them. I, I'm also curious what you think about another AFC West team that is uh, much is very close to to where you work in the Bay. The the Oakland Raiders to me I look at this over under and I think it's uh I think it's just at eight, right? And it's it's Yep, eight it's, flat. We yeah. got a minus one twenty to the over, minus one twenty five in that neighborhood, plus one oh five to the under. Yeah, which tells you that Vegas leans towards the Raiders winning more than eight games. And and Joe, I'll be honest, like I don't know what the hell's gonna happen with Oakland. I I think it's I think it's a I think it's a little bit lazy and I'm guilty of this so I'm, I don't mind calling myself lazy but I think it's a little bit lazy to bash John Gruden for the offseason that the Raiders have had um, you know I, I still think they have a lot of talent and t- especially on the offensive line they can run the ball effectively um, you know I, I to, in my mind people are a little low on Amari Cooper and, and what he might be able to do bouncing back in John Gruden's system with a, a healthy Derek Carr adjusting to that system as well and I don't, I don't know I don't know if I love their deal I don't know I, you can tell me the Raiders go 12 and 4 or the Raiders go 4 and 12 and I believe anything on that range of outcomes all right let's start with this because any conversation about the Raiders as it pertains to gambling needs to begin here these numbers that most of us use originate in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. I use my numbers from the Westgate, uh, the Mirage, MGM properties, the win for college football. I look around at the entire market, but the, regardless, I'm looking at Las Vegas. And you always have to remember for one team, and that's the Raiders, that they are moving to Las Vegas, and they have already started to cultivate a fan base in mm-hmm. Las Vegas. As a result, you might have some, some wagering that skews towards the abnormal for this team. Bookmakers know they're going to take bets on the Raiders, and they're going to take a lot of them because that's going to be the team in Las Vegas. Whether it's an individual game wager, a Super Bowl future, or an over-under on a win total, 
they're going to see a lot of positive Raider action because that team is set to start playing there in a couple years. So these numbers could be a bit skewed. So if you like to bet against the Raiders, unders, whatever it may be, you can find some value at some of these shops because they take so much Raider money these days. Now, as to how they perform this year, like you said, your guess is as good as mine. 12-4 and four versus 4-12, four and 12, I could see it either way. Every conversation about the Raiders' season starts with John Gruden, but it should start with the defense because that's the big question mark for this team. They have finished 20th or worse in scoring defense in 11 straight seasons. 11 straight years they've been 20th or worse in scoring. They've been 26th or worse in scoring defense five of those 11 years. And once again, there are a lot of question marks on the defensive side of the ball. Reggie Nelson at safety turns 35 years old in September. Leon Hall, who was brought in as a potential nickelback, is 33 years old. Carl Joseph, first-round pick from a couple years ago, only two interceptions through two professional seasons. Gary and Conley, the first-round corner out of Ohio State they drafted last year, played 92 total snaps throughout the whole season, because he was battling these shin splints that everyone was so secretive about throughout the course of the entire year. Then they go out and they pick up Rashawn Melvin out of Indianapolis, 21 starts um, in his career, 37 total games he's appeared in, only three interceptions. So the secondary is a huge question mark right off the bat. Number two, they have really struggled at the linebacker position for years. And this was the great irony the last few years because former head coach Jack Del Rio Defensive coordinator, former defensive coordinator, that is Ken Norton, and general manager Reggie McKenzie were all linebackers during their playing days, yet they could never draft or sign quality linebacker talent. Now, as a pass rush, you've got Khalil Mack, defensive player of the year from two years ago, but what's his contract situation? Mm. He wants to get paid, and all indications are that he might be holding out. Bruce Irvin, on the other side, has been a decent signing since coming over from Seattle, but the interior of the defensive line is another big question mark. So this season, the Raider defense, maybe they find a way to play at a higher level, but there are question marks on all three levels. Then you transition the conversation to the offense and John Gruden. Everyone hails Gruden as this offensive mastermind, and everyone talks about the fact that Gruden spent all these years out of the league, but he was in all the coaches' locker rooms, and he was watching tape and talking to coaches for Monday Night Football, and he was learning all their secrets. Well, when this guy was in his heyday, his offense in Tampa Bay finished 18th or worse in scoring all seven years he was there. All seven years this guy was coaching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, his offense ranked 18th or worse in scoring. The average rank was about 21st. So I always wonder, when they talk about this guy being an offensive mastermind and how he's going to resurrect Derek Carr's career, he doesn't have a track record of, of, of being a smart offensive coach. He also doesn't have a tra- track record of developing quarterbacks. Name one he's ever developed. He won the Super Bowl with Brad Johnson, and he got to the Super Bowl, or at least set that team up the year before in Oakland, with Rich Gannon, who was already in his late 30s or early 40s. There's a lot of talent on this team. There's a lot of question marks surrounding this team, but bottom line, there are so many issues on defense, and, and with Gruden's track record, I would, I would not be betting the over. I, I'm, I'm not going to be betting it either way, but if you give me the option and say, gun to the head, you've got to make a play, I would take the under on eight wins right now. Yeah, I think I would too, and I think it's very interesting. You make some great points about his offense in Tampa Bay. Well, his offense was good in, in Oakland for three. I mean, he was only the head coach in Oakland the first time around for four years. I mean, his offense was yeah. good for three of those years when he was able to get Gannon uh, in there. And, but then when you, you know, finished eighth, third, and fourth in points scored and fifth, sixth, and seventh, respectively, in those years in, in yards, um, 
his first year in Oakland, his offense was bad. His offense was terrible in, in Tampa Bay. And his defense was great in Tampa Bay, but that wasn't a result of John Gruden being a great defensive coach or John Gruden, uh, being a great personnel guy. I mean, that was, that was a result of a bunch of Hall of Famers on one of the all-time great, you know, rosters in, in Tampa Bay and that Tampa 2 defense lingering around from Tony Dungy. So, I mean, to, to me, when you look at that, you, you start to say, all right, like, what, you know, John Gruden won a Super Bowl and you gotta give him his, gotta give him credit for that, even if he won it with somebody else's players by beating his old team. But did he really do that much, like, as a, like outside of that one year? Did he, did he really do that much as a coach in, in, in his first tenure in the NFL? And that makes me want to lean towards the under as well. Yeah, you're right. I mean, he walks into Tampa and you give him Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks, and Rondé Barber, just to name a few. Like right off the bat, you've got three Hall of Famers on all three levels of your defense. That's a pretty good situation to be in as a head coach. Now, you still need to coach him there, and he did exactly that. But he walked into a great situation. That offense never really got better. That team just slowly got worse and worse throughout his tenure. Now, there is an upside to this entire situation. If you do like the Raiders or you disagree with what I'm saying right now, take a look at their schedule. This might be the most favorable Raiders schedule I've seen since I've been covering the team over the last four years. They're only going to play two back-to-backs on the road, which is extremely favorable considering what they've dealt with before. They've got three home primetime games this year. The Steelers are one of them. Week one, you're going to see them at home against the Rams. And then they only go to the East Coast three times. Now, granted, there's one game in London, but Seattle's got to go to London as well. So that's a neutral push. But they're only going to the East Coast three times. I think each of the last two years, they had to do back-to-back East Coast road trips where they would stay in Florida to play Jacksonville and Tampa. And then this past year, I think it was Buffalo and somebody else they played back-to-back. So the schedule sets up much nicer for them. Plus, coming off a really bad season, they now have an opportunity to play some lower-ranking teams in the AFC's hierarchy. So all in all, there's a lot to nitpick. Coaching, question marks, offensive question marks, defense as we laid out. But at the same time, the schedule does set up relatively well for the Raiders this season. Yeah, I mean, you're right. The Rams, Broncos, Dolphins, Browns, Chargers, and Seahawks is not a uh, murderer. Like, you're even catching the Seahawks when they're down. Maybe the Browns are up a little bit, but you're at the Chargers. You know, Again, we talked about that place. There's probably more Oakland fans there than, than, than Los Angeles fans. You could see them. I think they have to get off to a hot start, though, because if they don't, and, you know, they're three and, you know, they have three on the road and three at home in those first six weeks. I think if they get off to a slow start, people will really start questioning Gruden, asking if the Derek Carr thing works. And we might, and we might be wondering, you know, there might be John Gruden trying to go through the media and like, you know, I'm not spread disinformation or whatever, but I mean, you could see some old school, uh, groomers popping up about, about his quarterback. The other team that they, they have to play too, coming out of the bye two weeks after it at San Francisco, the Bay's other, or the Bay, actually, maybe this is the Bay's big team now? Are the, are the 49ers with Jimmy Garoppolo jump the Raiders in terms of interest in the Bay? To be honest with you, even when they were down, they still had more interest in the oh, Bay wow. Area. The Raiders, don't get me wrong, their fan base is legit. There just aren't nearly as many Raider fans in the Bay Area as there are Niner fans. That's definitely a Niner town. Now, moving the team to Santa Clara didn't help matters. It's a great financial move for Jed York because he gets to pony up the Silicon Valley and sell some really expensive suites to people from Yahoo and Google (laughs) and Apple and all those places, but the fans hate it. The place is really hot, which is why you see them play three of the opening four on the road almost every single year. They and the Raiders have to be careful. The NFL never wants to put them both at home uh, during the same weekend, but 
that's why you'll see Raiders playing at home, you know, through the first month and the Niners on the road because it is so hot on, like, the west. I want to say the east side of the stadium, the way the, um, the sun hits them down there, it is really uncomfortable. They've talked about the idea of putting a canopy over the top like in Miami, but that's a story for another day. Extraordinarily popular, riding more hype than anyone's seen since the Harbaugh Super Bowl years from four and five years ago. And that's all thanks to Jimmy Garoppolo closing the season last year with five straight wins. Now, the Niners to make the playoffs, yes, plus 130, no, minus 150. The win total opened at nine and has been bet down to eight and a half. And a lot of people are trying to figure out why. Simple. The fan base and the public love the Niners this year because of recency bias. The fan base loves them just because they saw them winning, but the recency bias factor of them winning five straight games to close the season, three of which came against playoff teams, most notably that Jacksonville shootout they were engaged in, have people excited. But now you've got an entire year, or an entire summer, I should say, of opposing defensive coordinators studying Jimmy Garoppolo, studying Kyle Shanahan's system, for two reasons. One, to stop the Niners, but two, more importantly, a lot of coordinators, we both know this, it's a copycat league. And the Niners and the Rams had some serious success on offense last year, so opposing teams want to see what these guys are doing, and they want to borrow from their playbook. So there aren't going to be a whole lot of surprises Shanahan can throw out there this season. Offensively, it's a team with a lot to be excited about, but here's the kicker. This schedule is brutal to open the season. You're on the road at Minnesota in week one as a a five-and-a-half-point underdog. I don't see that as a victory. That is a really tough building to go in and get a win. Then you're going to host Detroit, which looks winnable. Then you're on the road at Kansas City, which is one of the most hostile venues in the league. Then you're on the road at L.A. against the Chargers. And we talked earlier in this podcast how much you and I both like the Chargers this season, that game should see the Niners as an underdog. So you could see a 1-3 and three start, followed by three games in which you'll host Arizona, which is winnable. Then you'll travel to Green Bay to take on Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Then you'll come home to take on the L.A. Rams, who are going to be a force to be reckoned with this year. The second half of the schedule post-bye sets up well for the Niners, but if they can't get through that opening eight-week gauntlet anywhere close to four and four, this one could get away from them in a hurry. That's the key with the Niners is the schedule. It's going to be brutal. They just need to survive the first month and a half of the season, and if that's the case, they can go hot like they did last year right at the end. But the first six to eight weeks are going to be very, very difficult for San Francisco. Yeah, I think you're spot on, and that is a tough stretch because, look, I mean, you're talking about that, that Packers game is a Monday night game in Green Bay. Then you're back on for Sunday night at home hosting the Rams who are not playing far from home. Um, and if the Cardinals are better than people think, which I, I believe they will be, and if the Giants are improved, and I think they will be, and if the Seahawks are better than people are going to give, give them credit for this offseason, which I think they will be, then all of a sudden you have on you have so like I just think that division is a lot tougher than people are are expecting. Like yeah. I think the Cardinals are going to be more of a factor in that race. I think that I mean even if even if it's just for second place, I think the I mean the Rams could be great again, and I think the Seahawks. I, I wouldn't I don't count out Pete Carroll and, and and those guys quite yet. So I'm. I'm with you. I would have loved, I, I wish I had gotten in on that Niners under at nine and a half. I loved it there. I don't know if I love it at eight because they could be better, but I think I would probably lean to the under and think I see them as maybe more of a, a seven and nine team, although certainly they could, they could make a leap up and get to the playoffs. And let's think about the defense too. The focus with San Francisco is always on Shanny and Jimmy Garoppolo, yeah. as it should be. Those are the marquee profile spots in the National Football League. But defensively, there are some big questions in the secondary. First and foremost, I love the Richard Sherman signing because that defense needs a veteran presence. 
And this guy, even if he doesn't come back from the Achilles at 100%, is still going to pay dividends in the locker room from a leadership and an experience standpoint. But Sherman's 30 years old off a major Achilles surgery. Akello Witherspoon has only made nine career starts at cornerback. Joukowsky Tart has two INTs in three years at safety. And Adrian Colbert, who a lot of people like, is a seventh rounder from last season who only made six starts. So that secondary has a lot of question marks and a lot of inexperience. And the only experience they've got is a 30-year-old off an Achilles injury. First two games of the season, Reuben Foster suspended, so you're missing one of your best defenders there. And then as you move to the defensive line, will Eric Armstead finally take a step forward? Will DeForest Buckner become the legitimate Pro Bowl future pass rusher that this team has its eyes on? Buckner can play. Armstead's a question mark. But defensively, while they will get better, that's going to be the big problem spot for the Niners this season. Offensively, they should be able to compete because they've got the quarterback and they've got the coach. Defensively, they could find themselves in, a situ- in situations where they're struggling to get off the field. I think you're right. And, again, if they start out slow, all of a sudden there's finger pointing. And if Richard Sherman's not healthy, I, there's, there's a whole lot of ways this could cascade. All right, we uh, we blitzed through this podcast. I kept you longer than I meant to. We're above the 40-minute mark, which means I'll get yelled at. Don't care. People will live with it. <laughs> uh, follow him on Twitter at Joe Fortenball. Listen to him on 95.7 The Game. And check out the Sharp 600 on iTunes. Hey, buddy, that was a lot of fun, and uh, we'll have to do it again soon. Best word to describe it, Will. It was fun indeed. Thanks for having me, my man. I'd love to join you again sometime. All right, enjoy the uh, enjoy the shows in Tahoe. I'll be uh, I'll be watching. I'll be watching uh, uh, from the from the couch tour, man. No doubt, no doubt, indeed. I appreciate it. All right. <laughs>